Greetings, friends. Welcome to episode 44. The big 4-4. Four, four. Oh, janitor. the last bloke pod. The janitor, Dave Wirapunda. Yeah. Cleaning up our mess. Yeah. Bloody Wirapunda. Never forgave him for playing on that torn hamstring against Collingwood. Yeah. Stuffed us up big time. Still, you yeah. know, let's move on. But staying in the same sporting realm. Well, I guess I'll throw a sporting realm. Let's try to me. We put the Australian yeah. cricket team on uh, and the selectors and everyone else on trial a little while back after India. Yep. And, um, well, they've had their first chance to, uh, to redeem themselves. With the uh, selection of the Ashes squad, so putting Judge Jackson getting get <sighs> the wig in the some theme theme music for this, yeah. Get the wig in the gravel, get in the gravel, <laughs> the gravel. The gravel's in my <laughs> the gravel <throat>. road. Yeah. <laughs> the gravel, baby. The gravel's in my throat. Yeah. Um, where, what the, the, where the hell are my robes? <laughs> How are you rating their performance with the uh, selection of the squad? Look, I think it looks all right. I mean, if if Michael Hussey hadn't retired, then there'd be no need for Chris Rogers. So I think he's, you know, I, I can't say it's a bad pick because I do like the fact that he averages over 50 in England. But it's, what, the fifth opener, I believe, in this squad now. So you do have to be worried about how top-heavy our lineups looking. Mm. I think, to me, there are two glaring omissions, and I think that's Ben Hilfenhouse, who was last time far and away our best bowler, and I think even if you're just going to, last time in England, Mm. I think even if you're just going to take him from, you know, an advisory sort of perspective, he'd be worth having in there. And I never thought I'd say this, but Steve Smith is dead stiff to miss out. Mm. He was our second best batsman in India, and I think if if we had, you know, another guy beating down the door in, in at state level, making a lot of runs, that's fine, but when someone like James Faulkner is getting a gig, and Steve Smith is missing out on the basis of that last test series, you'd have to say he's very, very unlucky. Well, I mean, I think that the Faulkner's uh, a kick up the arse for Mr. Watson. Mm. I think you, you've got to look at it that way. Um, Brad Hatton is vice-captain. Yeah, look, I... It's a tough one because I'm not a fan of Matthew Wade and I'm not a fan of Brad Hatton, but I think given a choice between the two... I'd have picked Tim Payne. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Given a choice between the two, I'd have taken what's behind uh, curtain number three. Yeah. I mean, Tim Payne or um, Hartley's the other one yeah. they're, they're throwing around. I think both of them are far better glovemen. And I think both would provide better leadership as well. Yeah, no, but I think it speaks volumes for how concerned we are about our top order mm-hmm. and how concerned we are about the, the leadership vacuum that exists under Clarkie's back. Well, ar- yeah, around, yeah, yeah. maybe in front of Clarkie, yeah. rather than <laughs> around his Yeah, back. and uh, I do want to give a, a special shout-out to, I actually, it's, in fact, it's quite funny, speaking of backs, I managed to tear a muscle in my back this week, so I was on bed rest uh, on Wednesday, and um, I uh, I happened to, to glance up at the at the screen at one point, and I saw Brad Haddon appointed captain for Ashes Tour, and I thought, now, have I have I, have I fallen asleep for, for, for six years, you know? What, what the hell's going on here? And uh, I quickly realised that it was actually, he'd been appointed vice-captain, but the ABC, um, yeah, the ABC guy who'd um, put the little captions up at the bottom of the screen had neglected to add that word vice in front, which which is a pretty important fucking hyphenation, you'd have to say. Or the V even. Yeah, exactly. Particularly considering the fact that at the time I was watching Michael Clark doing the interview and he was looking rather pissed off. Yeah. I think that was because someone had just said, this is the 
the weakest Ashes squad in decades, but he wasn't looking too happy. So I'm sitting there reading that, looking at Clarkie pissed off, going, now what's, <laughs> what's happening here? So, yeah, to the ABC guys, very important that you distinguish between captain and vice-captain. That, that is all. Um, and I, do, I would also like to give a, uh, a good mention to, um, to Stephen Waugh, who, who um, when the English journal at the press, presser said, oh, well, I see that you've, you know, you've rolled out Steve Waugh and Mark Taylor to remind us of the bad old years, but the fact is this is the weakest Ashes squad we've probably ever seen. And apparently Steve Waugh was standing right next to the Channel 7 guy and he <coughs> immediately just said, well, yeah, we've heard that before, haven't we, mate? <laughs> Nice little shout back to 89 when, I mean, as everyone said, they won 4-0, would have won 6-0 if not for the rain. So, I mean, looking at the squad, the biggest issue we have now is that Ryan Harris, in his ill-advised decision to play in the IPL, has done his Achilles tendon. Well, apparently, and Achilles injury not done his Achilles tendon. Oh, wow. Tendon. Yeah. But if he'd done his Achilles tendon, he'd be probably, mm. I like Kobe Bryant, he'd be out for the year. Yeah. But, um, uh, just, just why, Rhino? Why? Was it worth it, mate? Was it worth it for that couple of hundred grand you picked up? I mean, I'll, I'll ask this about the IPL generally. Je- usually when you have things like this, there is some sort sort of redeeming quality, some sort of positive they bring to the game. You know, some sort of positive you can take from this. The IPL, I just don't see it. You know, no one will remember, other than Chris Gale's innings this season, no one will remember anything about the IPL in two years' time. And and, and right now, uh, you'd have to say, Ryan Harris, those, you know, that 250 grand you picked up, is that worth more than the adulation of being an Ashes-winning bowler for us against the odds in England this year? I just don't get it. These guys make that sort of money, but surely, surely, the praise and recognition that they would receive for winning a Test Series for Australia, such as the Ashes or such as a marquee series against South Africa, which is the next tour after these back-to-back Ashes, surely that is worth more than any price that you can um, receive in an IPL auction. Especially when you consider that Hilfie's come back injured from there as well. Mm. So, I have a... I mean, I, I, what, did, what did you make of the of the squad? Likes? Dislikes? I've got, a couple of, I've got a couple of interesting questions. Look, I don't mind it for the, for, the, um, for the most part. I'm a little bit concerned that they're only taking 16, although I do realise that they have some other players who will be over there at the time. And this is another question I do want to ask. What the fuck is the point of having an Australian A tour <coughs> six weeks after the squad's announced? Well, that's another very good question as well. But mm. the the thing that actually worries me is, is that we've loaded up on left-handers and there's a certain... Uh, the swan? Yeah, there's a certain English off-spinner yeah. that... Swanee! Eats, um, <laughs> that eats left-handers up for, for breakfast. Yeah. I think he's uh, ruined Marcus North's career for once and for all. Yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, I think his, his test bowl average is some eight or nine runs better against left-handers than it is against right-handers. Yeah, so um, so I mean, I'm a little bit worried about that. Um, look, I, I, so think, let's, I mean, let's well, rattle them off then. I, I mean, mean, we've just, got just Rogers, Cowan, Warner, Hughes, uh, Kawaja. Kawaja. Of those five, who would you have dropped and who would you have picked instead? Well, I just think that they're, they're committing, it's more to the point that they're committing themselves to only having basically Clark and Watson in the top six who are going to be right-handed, which comes back 
back to the Steve Smith yeah. thing. So, you know, if they were going to go with 17, and as you say, he's kind of the, the really unlucky one in the mix here. Yeah, and absolutely. This is, and this is part of the reason why. I would have thought that they'd want to try to get some right-handers in that middle order. Particularly if we're talking about Graham Swan. Mm. Steve Smith is the second best player of spin in the Australian um, setup right now. I mean, look, it's a make-or-break it's, uh, it's make-or-break series for Shane Watson, there's no question. Yeah, well, now that he's quit the vice-captaincy, there's no doubt that if he has two bad... Quit, in inverted uh, yeah, commas. Yeah, but there's there's no doubt that if he has um, two bad tests to begin the series, then he, he'll be dropped. Yeah, and he may never get back. Mm. Although they, they do love them some... Actually, I've read a very, <laughs> a very, a very <laughs> good quote about this the other day, which was since, since Freddie yeah. in 2005, the Australian selectors have had a love affair with all-rounders and it's an unrequited love. (laughs) I think that says it all. Yeah. I think, um, look, and I think it's good you bring that up. I think that Shane Watson's got to have a Freddie-like series if we're any chance. Well, see, I would have I would have said Clark needs to make 800 runs and Ryan Harris needs to take, you know, 35 wickets in the high teens. Mm. That, that, they would have been my two. So if Watson can it's, go partway to both of those... I would say it's, it's, it's maybe it's Harris slash Pattinson. I mm. think J-Pat's going to be a guy that's going to cause them a lot of problems. Yeah, I mean... But Harris Harris is a guy who seems the best suited for those conditions. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Harris and, as I say, Hilfen House mm. is probably the other one. But, but the, I mean, the only thing about the Harris announcement that works, the might work to their advantage, eventual boy Jay Bird, yeah. more than likely to get a run. And he should be. Because <laughs> let me tell you, if there's one thing that team is crying out for right now, it's a Glenn McGrath-type bowler who can just tie up an end, particularly when you've got someone like Nathan Lyon, who the major criticism of him is, is he bowls too much like a, a run, you know, to trying to reduce the scoring rate rather than taking wickets. Mm. Now, if you've got someone like Jackson Bird tying up one end, that gives Nathan Lyon a licence for Clark to toss him the ball and say, you know what? I'll take you going for a boundary or two and over, but if you can get me two wickets in this spell, all, all's well. Mm. So I think he, Jackson Bird is, for someone who's only played two tests, he is vitally important to the balance of that team. And I would hate to see the selectors go with someone like Mitchell Stark, who has delusions of adequacy, over Jackson Bird. Mm. The funny thing is, is that I, I reckon you'll find that... Uh, I think the Faulkner may well be a player in this series at some stage, too. Mm. Um, I'm actually surprised, in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, he's, it's, it's a bit of a funny selection for him, because, if anything, you would have thought he was probably more suited for India than he is for England. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I mean, he's certainly an up-and-coming player, and... He could, yeah, he could. Well, mind you, so was on Reeks. And after one test, you would have thought he's odds-on to be playing in the Ashes. So, yeah. on Riquez, sorry. Mm-hmm. So, get the pronunciation right. Mark the, Moore will be uh, on the, Port- the Portuguese pool cleaner. Let's yeah. go with that. Yeah. And, you know, Faulkner's not a mug with the bat either. I think, well, that's that's one thing where we have a little bit of an advantage is, is that I think that our, our bowlers are probably better batsmen than theirs. Yeah, but our batsmen are better batsmen than theirs. Yes. That's, that's the big problem. Mm. I mean, you know, Steve War said it, Mark Taylor said it, everyone said it. <laughs> 
Average, <laughs> averaging in the mid thirties as an opener, and we've got five of them now. Yeah, it's not going to cut it. So, um, of the sixteen that are there, five under the gun. Who are the Who are the five that are looking? I think that you know the the thing about the squad from my from my perspective, I think that there's a lot of guys who it's it's crossroads time. Yeah. So, who who do you think's under the crossroads? And look into the crystal ball. How do you think that they're going to go? Well, I mean, the obvious one is Brad Haddon because. Uh, well, Brad Haddon and Chris Rogers. I mean, really, yeah. they've both been picked as somewhat surprising selections. If they don't perform, then that, that's their international future finished. Yeah. Um, so both of them, uh, Ryan Harris is the obvious other one. But I mean, I, as I say, I just I just look at him. I look at English conditions, and I think if we can get him on the park for two tests, that could make a massive difference. Let's not forget in two thousand and five. You know, England's watershed series, they did not win a test when Glenn McGrath was playing. And I think if Ryan Harris is out there for two or three tests in that series, that could be ultimately be the difference. In England, where if it's overcast conditions and the ball's swinging and the pitch is green, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to see five or six wickets fall in a session. And I think Ryan Harris is the one. Out of all those bowlers you see there, and that includes James Patterson, James Pattinson, he's the one who I can see just going ballistic and turning it on for a session and nipping out, you know, four, as he did in the Shield final this Mm. year. So I can see him having a big series, provided that he's fit. Other than that, I mean, we've touched on the obvious one. Shane Watson has to perform. The other big one, I would say, is David Warner. Yeah. Now, I think James Anderson would be looking at that backlift of his, looking at his technique and just licking his lips. And we saw a couple of times in the last few tests in India, Warner just flashing at balls that he shouldn't have been anywhere near and being dismissed for a duck caught behind the wicket. I can see that happening a few times in this series to Jimmy Anderson, and I think he is one whose spot should really be under pressure, given the, the dearth of openers that we've got in this particular squad. And given that he's only actually scored one century in his last 14 test matches, mm. you have to think that... And that was, I believe that was against an Indian team who had left the field after about the first three hours that day. Mm. And I was at that test match, I can tell you. They weren't out there. Um, it was pathetic. So, um, I mean, so... You he hasn't he hasn't got runs on the board. He hasn't shown a willingness to to graft. I think that that's the problem. We and plus, he's a little fucktard, honestly. Let, let's let's put that out there in no uncertain terms. He's the biggest douchebag in Australian cricket right now. So got him where they want him. Yeah, that that might uh, that might count in his favour with Clark and Wade, the other two triumphant <laughs> cockheads. But <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, well, I think it's, it's not a good sign. The Hadner's vice captain really sends a strong message to Clark, doesn't it? Mm, yep, in that he uh, may have backed the wrong horse. Well, in the you know, maybe it, it might be all good and well to perform on the field, but if you can't get people to rally around you off the field, you're not much use to anyone. And what I have heard is that this all comes back to the, the event with the boat, with yes. James Packer's boat. That's what I've heard as well. Yes. Yeah, so as much as... And I, as as Huss, much and as, I mean, let's give Huss you know, much so much credit in trying yeah. to play that down and say that it didn't happen, yeah. which is, for me is just the ultimate team man, is that even after retirement where he could 
could have, you know, built a, a case against someone who'd done him wrong. Mm. He still is thinking about what's, you know, what's for the best of Australian cricket. But the fact is that that email, the, you know, the infamous email that was sent around with all the facts about Huss and Clark and their relationship and that, everything else, every single minutia of detail from that email has been proven correct. Mm. Yes, yeah, so he was, uh, when I spoke with him, he was very glowing of Clark as a captain on the field, but I didn't really approach the yep. subject of off the field. And with good reason. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that he would have been, I mean, it, w- it would have been pointless to ask him something like that because he wouldn't. He would have played Just it with a straight Don't bat, go there, yeah. As he did for his entire career, you know. Yeah, exactly. Faced up and played with a straight I, bat. Can I just say, the form he's in in the IPL, I mean, he's whacked. Uh, a 51 it? ball 88, a, a 26 ball 45, and a, I think it was a 46 ball 65. If we were picking this squad and he was available, he'd be the second guy written down right now after MJ Clark. Well, I mean, he even finished the Shield season in pretty good nick. Yep, well. he made a 99. A couple yeah. of 90s yep. to finish yep. up, so... Yeah, no, I mean, he'd definitely still be a one And I think, more importantly, he's the type of person that would scare the Poms shitless. Yeah. Coming out to bat. And as I say, <laughs> if, if, if he was there, Chris Rogers wouldn't have to be, and someone yeah. like Steve Smith, who probably deserves a go in our top order as potentially the only batsman other than Huss, well, even including Huss, picked who wasn't an opener. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he deserves a go. So, where will Rogers bat if he plays? Will A, uh, will he play and B, where will he bat? I think he will play because yeah. I think why else pick him? Yeah. If you're not going to play him, then why pick him is pointless. Yes, I agree. And I think he'll open because if if you're bringing in a guy with that wealth of experience, you're essentially admitting that you've got problems at the top of the order. So I'm going to say Cowan and Rogers will be our opening pair for the first test. So where's Warner going to bat? Bat at six. Six. Hughes at three. Clark at four. Uh, sorry, sorry Kawhi at four. Clark at five. Or perhaps vice versa on those last two. No Watson. Well, sorry. Let, let it. Can I? Perhaps we'll cut it there and I'll come back in. Yeah. No, I think Warner... I think Warner will bat at six, and I think they'll maintain uh, Hughes at three, Watson at four, Clark at five. I think that's their preferred lineup right now. But with mm-hmm. Kawaja, a massive chance to get a start if he does anything in the tour games before. Mm. At the expense of any of three, four, and six potentially. Yeah. yeah. You'd have to think though that Watson, they're going to they're going to give Watson a reasonable run, and the replacement for Watson is Faulkner. Oh, I know. There was a yeah, and I think uh, Hughes and Kawaja have long been pitted against each other and I think nothing's changed really. Mm. Whichever one of them performs better in the tour matches gets a Guernsey for the first game. Yep. So, look, I mean, summing up, I, I picked 3-1 before the series. I see nothing, I see no reason to change that. I think the one may well be a dead rubber. But, look, the Aussies do have a bit of a stranglehold on the Poms at Lords. So, the first test is vital for me. If we can make any sort of statement in that first test at Trent Bridge, then go to Lords for the second test, well, I'll be in attendance on the second day, just... Just throwing that out there. So if if you see someone, you know, (laughs) I was going to say, if you see someone shoulder charge Davey Warner after he's dismissed for a duck in the first over against Jimmy Anderson, that's probably yours truly. But I think 
it, they really have to hit the ground running. That's the key for me. Mm-hmm. Is if the Poms get on top, you know, Alan Border always used to say the team that dominates the first session of the first morning will win the series, and I think that's very true. If England get on top early, then it's going to be a, a long, hard English summer for the Aussies, and we're well and truly on way to breaking our record for the most number of Test losses in a calendar year. I'm going to throw you two more questions. Alrighty. Besides Clark, or maybe this person may end up doing more than Clark. I'm going to take Clark out of the mix, though. Yep. Who do you think is going to score the most runs in the series? Cowan. And how many do you think he'll make? 457. Why Cowan? Because I think he's shown he's the one with the temperament, the technique, and the sheer stick to to improve over time. He has a very solid understanding of English conditions. I mean, he's over there playing county cricket right now while the rest of them are faffing around in the IPL. And I think if if there's any sort of um, dysfunction or, you know, changes to the top order, Cowan is the rock around which the Australian selectors will want to base our team. So I think he is more likely to... You know, he, he, and he might he might score 457 runs for the series without scoring a century, as ridiculous as that sounds. Yeah. But I think he's more likely to, to graft out a 60 or 70 in the first innings of each match than anyone else in that team. Who do you think is going to take the most wickets? Jimmy Anderson. <laughs> Are we talking from, a, from, from, a, from an Australian perspective? Uh, look, I'd have to go Peter Siddle, purely because more than anyone else on that side, he's more likely to play all five tests. So I will go Siddle, but the the series doesn't rest on Siddle's shoulders. It rests on Pattinson's and Harris's. Mm. And I will, sorry, one final one, one? Yep. I'll have one more in. The bonus question. Is this for all the prizes? Combined, how many tests will Rogers and Haddon play? Eight. Okay. Yep. Is that four each or three for one and five for the other? Do I have to specify? Yes. You don't necessarily have to put a name to each, but... Oh, a three for one and five for the other. Okay. And the five is Haddon. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, let me go yeah. with that. As the vice-captain, you would think that that was yeah. probably the case. Yeah. And unless he suffered a, you know, horrendous bout of Well... Or he happened to tread on a, a, a cricket ball before the edge baston test or perhaps injure his ankle playing basketball. Yeah. Fates that have befallen certain other members of the uh, Australian squads on the tours in the what last happened 10 to years. Him on, was it the last tour where he had to yeah. be substituted by Graham Manu? Uh, yeah, because his, his, um, his back seized yeah, up, didn't right. it? Yes, it was. It was a, it was a Michael Clark esque injury. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but let's, let's not uh, bring up those unhappy memories mm. now. Let's just say. I want to see Ryan Harris and Jackson Bird with the new ball in the first test, and I want to see us nipping out five pommy wickets in the first session. We do that, it's game on, bitches. Judge Jackson, thank you for your time. That was my gavel. All right, well, I think the first point we should make to you is that, is that if you hear a, a, a wildebeest choking on a chicken bone <laughs> in the background, that, it's not that's really. just, yeah, that's just, that's just GJ, who happens to be suffering from a bit of a bad cough at the moment, but... I think uh, it's the reason why we've been a little bit quiet on the boy pod. Yeah, <laughs> JJ hasn't had the voice or the stomach to, <laughs> to co-host with me again. <laughs> but um, look, I know we haven't sort of done the hero of the week, villain of the week for a while. But I just want to give a shout out, Lewandowski. No one had ever scored a hat-trick against Real Madrid in Champions League history, let alone a double hat-trick. He put four goals past them. And the two Spanish armadas, who everyone thought were going to roll into the final, conceded eight goals between them in 24 hours. It was, it was an amazing week in football. TJ's pumping his fist. Yeah. As, as am I, because 
with with two games to go in the group stage, I made my sneaky prediction, Borussia Dortmund, to win the whole thing. I think they were paying, from memory, Jamie Rogers was giving me about $9.60 for them at the time. Right now, they are, you know, one half decent away leg away from... I shouldn't have used the away leg away thing, but... Yeah, one one decent travelling leg away from booking a spot at Wembley against Bayern Munich. Ten behind the ball, that's my advice. Yeah, ten behind the ball. They, they, they defend very well, though. That that's been their their trademark all year is that they've defended very well and their counter attacks. Well, I mean, we we saw what they did. But yeah, Lewandowski, you're awesome. That third goal, that, I mean, he he had to control the ball, flip it around in one touch, and then just rocket it into the top corner. That that could probably, yeah, that would probably be the best goal I've seen in the Champions League this year. It was brilliant. So yeah, f- full credit to the German teams. Bring it on, Germany. Yeah, go German. Yeah, I'm just pissed off because you know RN sneaking by Man U. Yeah. Any yeah, time, Gino's still bitter about this. Any time, Cur- courtesy the red card, which wasn't there. Any time, fake Madrid get through. Uh, somebody knocks off <laughs> fake Madrid. It's all fine by me. Yeah, well, Dortmund are going to do it for you, mate. They will. They will avenge you. <laughs> Bring it on, Dortmund. That's all I'm saying. Yep. Play Dortmund. It's your birthday. <laughs> Not for real, real. Just for play, play. Yeah. So, uh, given we're four weeks into the AFL season, any um, any predictions that we've made that we think we might want to possibly retract? Uh, Jack Watts, we must apologise. Yeah, we're sorry, we Jack. Some sort of epic mocker curse on him. But I've been pained by that as well because I had him in my fantasy team for but, the um, first couple of weeks. Can I can I just say that I think that the coach is just as much to blame for that as Jack? Mm. Um, for God's sake, play him on the wing. <laughs> it's not that hard. Is Mark, play him on the wing or play him on play, the wing? Play him on the wing. Maybe pray him on the wing too. Yeah. They need all the help they can get. Exactly. Um, I think Brisbane's face Launceston. I think we said Brisbane to win 12 games as well. That's I'd be lucky to win 12 quarters this year. The way yeah. they're going, that's, that's looking uh, that's looking rather ominous. Dicey. They could they could very much be two and eleven actually, Brisbane. The way that uh, their schedule plays out, and if they're and they were lucky to beat Gold Coast, and just let me just put into perspective, if they're two and eleven, I, I don't think they can win twelve games. No, no, no. Just, just quietly. No, but I, a bit of humble bragging. The Brad Scott call being the first one to have a cry. He couldn't even get through week one. Such a fucking pussy, that guy. I mean, I believe he came up with a term for his, uh, his his plaintive, you know, wailings to the media, which was the perpetual period. Yeah. yeah. yeah I figured you'd like the alliteration. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very much, I'm a very much a fan of that. So, yeah. well played, sir. Yeah, so, uh, well, Brad Scott, I think we, we weren't as high on the Eagles as everybody else who seemed to think they were a top two team. Well... Yeah, with Nick Nat out, they're not even looking like a top eight team at the moment. Looking like a bottom two team. Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe not quite that low, but certainly not a top, top eight, not a not a top eight team. Yeah. That's for sure. And Bad news we were we were probably undershooting the mark, saying fourteen and eight. But mm. uh, they're going to struggle to get that. They're probably going to struggle to get to fourteen and eight as well. So well, I mean, they're they're one and three. Yeah, they're, they're against an undefeated interstate side at home tonight. So yeah, and at the start. 
started year four. If the start of the year you were saying that, you wouldn't have guessed that it would be Port Adelaide that we'd be talking about. Yeah, yeah that's right. So pretty much. I had I had Port improving a couple of games, but certainly not, I, I was high on them. Though I did say I like their pre-season form, but to for me to think that they were potentially finals contenders is a big call, and mm, I certainly yeah. wasn't willing to make it at the time. Yeah. Um, no, look good. I mean, you have to say that the ones that we said though, the the Collingwood, the Hawthorne, the Sydney, you know, yeah. they're all going to be up there. I mean, Fremantle are an interesting one. They won um, a lazy point last night. I mean, they were yeah, one point away from losing three in a row. Yeah. Uh, well, two points away from losing. Well, three as, in a row, it, as it turns out, they're about a minute thirty away from losing. Yeah. But um, I, I still like them to make a granny this year. I'm still picking them as my smoky. No one will see them coming. I think yeah. Uh, that, yeah, I think the Pies and um, and Hawthorne are both looking pretty good. Yeah, I mean, Collingwood have certainly... The, the difference between Collingwood and the Eagles is Collingwood are winning the games with guys out at the moment. Yeah. And the Eagles aren't. Collingwood have got... I wouldn't say that they're, they're at the top end, but they're certainly, in terms of magnitude across the set, they, they've got... Pop, pop. They've probably got more. Yes, they've probably got more uh, more players out than the Eagles have. And I mean, and they're they're, they're treating water. Uh, their biggest problem though is that they when they lose, they lose big. Yeah. Hawthorne and Essendon have blown them out this year. Um, yeah, that's right. They certainly run over the top of them mm. uh, later in the games there. But I mean, the most impressive side by far this year has been Geelong. Mm. They're sitting very very pretty right and now. Yeah, on, on they've, two beaten, they've beaten the two grand finalists from last year, and everyone's. Been Big pick for the big mover, which yeah. is Carlton. And um, a shout-out to Billy Smits and Josh Caddy, who managed, oh, to, yes. get them, who managed, to, uh, who managed <laughs> to get themselves on ESPN and Fox Sports yeah. in the US yesterday with their... Uh, Antics, yes. hijinks. Good effort yeah. um, trying nice, to... Nicely done. Uh, getting arrested at gunpoint for uh, trying to burgle what they thought was their teammates' yeah. place. Which, which was actually yeah. some random house up the road. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Now, James, I do have to make a bit of a rant here. Fucking Dr. Dream Team beat me by two points last week, and that was with me having Stevenson on the field scoring 69, Pitt out on the bench scoring 96, and my captain Josh Kennedy cracking out a 59 against Geelong. Sydney Josh Kennedy, I wish you. Yes, yes, Sydney Josh Kennedy. I mean, I just thought Sydney Geelong, he's going to rack up 14 tackles, he'll get a big score. Kieran Jack did himself proud, he scored a lazy ton, but yeah, Josh Kennedy. Yeah, but not only did he. Stevenson won. Two points I lost by. Not only uh, only did Kennedy struggle, he's uh, the guy played on him was the rising star nominee for the week, so. And he gave gave away three free kicks, anyone of them doesn't get given, I win. Uh, it's 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 agonising for me. Fucking Dr. Dream Team. And the, but the worst thing was, it was like one of my highest scores ever. I scored 2,053. I, I think I beat you by a lazy 120-odd last week, but wasn't enough to get me the win, and now I'm sitting 17th in our league. So, thank fuck I've got the uh, soft draw in Timbo this week. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm well, going to torture ass Timbo. So, I think I'll, I'll, I want Top, but I think I've yeah, had two guys. Yeah. I think I've played yeah. GWS and, uh, and Melbourne. Oh, Melbourne yeah. Yeah. yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, with my teams, I, I, I didn't have a good week last week and I still won by like 700, which yeah. tells you how good the team I was playing. But yeah. uh, but, that, but the most annoying thing for me was that I, I, I could have given I mean, like... Yeah, I, 
I could have given like the best score of the round a shake if I had put a couple of different players off my bench mm. and made Ablett my captain. They said he had a sore hand. Why do they advertise this shit when he then comes out and scores 116? Yeah. Well, as you know, I put a whopping fifteen minutes into into my yeah, team this year, and it's starting to show it's a little bit. Auto kick. It's starting to show. I must admit, it's starting to show a little bit. But um, I will I will give myself a pat on the back though for my fantasy team on the uh, the ESPN Footy Chip site, which is currently in the top five percent uh, based on last week's results. And um, so far this week, I've had Dane Swan as captain score one hundred and twenty, Kieran Jack score one hundred and thirteen, and. Nick Rewalt, Seagull, a lazy 153 for me. So I'm looking pretty good there. So yeah. hopefully but, uh, I can achieve some results. I think you're, you're, uh, you've also taken part in the draft thing for the first time, and uh, that's doing elite. pretty well as well. Yes, somehow I'm 4-0. Yeah. I can't say it was the, through much good management, but um, I managed to pick up guys like Hamish Hartlett, Lenny Hayes, Grant Virtual, Cyril Rioli, Michael Walters. So all these guys who are having... Having, you know, breakout seasons, I've managed to uh, grab them all in my elite team. So I'm sitting 4-0 in that one, uh, and no one else is uh, undefeated at this stage. So I'm looking good there. There's, yeah. there's some promising stuff. I don't read very often, at least not on this podcast. Not enough. Not enough. Apparently not enough, according to some, but... One thing that actually does get my goatees is that we live in the age of professional footballers who, well, I mean, it's their full-time job, let's face it. And this ridiculous notion that they only need to kick the ball with one foot, it's it's really starting to annoy me because you see stupid things like guys who will be running into open goals who deviate away from the goals. And suddenly have to check side. And have to check side the ball around the corner because some idiot somewhere looked at some statistics and came to the conclusion that people kick 10% better with their right foot than their left foot. Without thinking about it, there's a bloody good reason why that happens. How many times are you going to kick with your non-preferred foot when you're under no pressure whatsoever? The answer is zero. The answer is zero percent. So people will only kick with their non-preferred foot when they're under when they're under pressure, which is the reason why their efficiency is down. It's a big call. I mean, how many soccer players do you know who are (coughs) with their left foot as their right? Not many. Not many. Or on their non-preferred side as their preferred side. Not many. But no, it's a very different game, though. Yeah, it's a very different game. The there's there's more people around the contests in general, and there's a lot more space in order to operate from as well and the, the need to be able to move both ways as a um, as a professional footballer is far greater than, than it is in soccer so I just think that it's really really important if you're a young kid for every two that you kick with your preferred foot kick one with your non-preferred and then by the time you get to the age of 17 or 18 people won't know which foot's your preferred foot there it is comments from the super coach well, Gene, for the first time in my life, I'm about to organise some overseas travel. Uh, I will be taking a day of the Lord's Test match, which the words well, cannot express how excited I am about this. He's going, uh, he's going to his church. Exactly, that's right. Exactly. I, I mean, there's a good chance I may have to move over there after I've seen Lord's, but I do just want to make one it's, point. It's, it's interesting. It's, you, you'll be amazed at the... Uh, the slope. The slope. The McGrath slope, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a nice place, and it's great to see history and all of that, but as a ground, it's actually not really all that impressive, <laughs> to be honest. Okay. Anyway. But I do have to say, 
What the fuck is the point of having passports not being able to be used for the last six months? Why don't they just make the passports expire six months earlier then? I mean, what the... I do not understand the logic behind this thing that, alright, your passport expires on this day, oh, but you can't travel for six... the last six months of the passport. It is utterly nonsensical. Just make it expire six months earlier then. It makes no sense. No sense! Isn't that just the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? There are some sensible reasons for it, but yeah, what I don't understand. Stop being the voice of reason. Come on, get no. outraged with me. <laughs> it makes no sense. Uh, I just, I just find it utterly absurd that. Oh yeah, well, it, it expires on this date, but it's useless for the last six months. For those last six months, you may as well just flog it off on the black market. It serves no purpose. Isn't that right, William? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He knows what I'm talking about. Good stuff. You're outraged. You don't even have a passport. What are you barking about? That's probably why he's barking. He can't get one. <laughs> it expired six months ago. I didn't know about it. He's having a dog of a day. Yeah. Well, Jeez, as a long-suffering Aston Villa fan, well, been suffering for the last two seasons anyway, they have a certain habit, which people may have noticed. Conceding the late winners. <laughs> Up 1-0, and as I remember we were watching a game earlier this season, and of course Ben Teke scored the first goal, as he has done all year, and I said to you, well, this is the danger period. It's when Aston Villa are in front. <laughs> because that's when they suddenly just seem to drop their bundle completely. So, I'd like to, here, on the 20, 27th of April, I'd like to make a prediction. Last game of the season, Aston Villa v Wigan Athletic. Aston Villa go up 1-0 through Ben Teke. With 80 minutes to go, we can score a goal and then score another one before the end of the game. Aston Villa get relegated that day. I can see it coming. It's like a freight train bearing down upon my soul. It's going to happen. Lock it in.